Amen. Will you bow your heads in prayer with me? God, we ask that you would speak to us this day. May you minister to our hearts. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. I love this church. Uh, when we asked what sermons to preach, uh, you all gave us topics where you can write a doctoral dissertation on. So, um, so I don't know who this individual is. I would love to talk to you later. Um, uh, but someone asked me to preach about the Trinity. You can literally spend hours and hours and hours talking about the Trinity. Uh, the word uh, Trinity uh, does not appear in the Bible. You read the entire Bible, you will not find the word Trinity. You can do it in Greek, Hebrew, English, you won't find the word Trinity. But yet, Trinity is something that we as Christians believe in. Uh, the term Trinity was originally coined by um, a guy named uh, Tertullian. Uh, he was the first one who spoke of this uh, Christian distinctive, uh, if you will. I know sometimes our culture, and I've heard it, um, just to be polite, uh, we've, I've kind of heard this said over several times, um, and it goes something like this, and I want to be careful when I say this as well, this is what I've heard, you know, we're all trying to do the same thing, you know, all religions are the same, you know, we're all in this together. You know, it sounds really good and beautiful, but I, as a Christian, I want to say, I don't agree with that. I think there are certain Christian distinctives that are different, um, and I would fundamentally disagree with that statement. I would say Christianity is different. Um, it's a lot different when you compare it to Hinduism or Islam or any other religion. Uh, Christian distinctives are different. And Trinity is one of them. And at the same time, when I'm saying those words, I want to speak um, with kindness and love. Uh, and I want to say this uh, in a good way, uh, that Christianity is different. Uh, I don't want to be apologetic about it, but at the same time, I want to boldly be able to say Christianity is different. So Trinity is one of those fancy words that makes us different from any other religion. Uh, the fancy word Trinity is sometimes defined this way. One ousia and three hypostasis. It's like fancy all over, like what? Um, so this is what it means. It means one essence, one essence and three persons. And before I share with you Trinity or give some language to talk about this unique mystery about this triune God, I want you to remember the first time you fell in love. All right, before we go any further, I want you to go there. Okay, can you go there? Please say yes. Thank you. All right, remember? Remember that like your head over heels, you walked with a smile on your face. Remember those days? You, know, you drove halfway around the state just to spend a day. You know, you were in that state of euphoria, if you will. 
You know, if someone came to you when you were going through that process and said, hey, I want you to write a 10-page paper about what you're experiencing, I'm sure you'll be able to write that paper, but that paper will be filled with similes and metaphors. For example, you might say, I feel like when I'm with this person that I love, I'm the only person in the room or in the world. He makes me feel like having butterflies in my stomach every time we're together and I hold my hands and walk, right? Remember, like, yes? Come on, church. Thank you. When Kristen and I were dating, um, one of my friends walked up to me one day. And he goes, dude, you're so in love. And I'm like, I'm not. And I had a smile on my face. I was like, yeah, no. And he's like, no, seriously, you're in love. No, I'm not. And he's like, no, seriously, did you tell her you love her? I was like, no, I didn't because I'm not in love with her. <laughs> right? But I had this thing about me. Like, everybody knew that I was in love. I just didn't want to say it. So when we are talking about Trinity, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about a God who loves you unconditionally. I want you to think about the God who created the heaven and the earth. And he looks at you today and says, I love you. I want you to think about this God that holds the whole world and everything in it looks at you and says, I love you. And we are called to fall in love with this God. So even as we explore this mystery called Trinity, by looking at some of the biblical concepts and biblical uh, passages, I want you to know that at the heart of it, it is about love and it is about relationship that we have with this triune God. I want that to be, I want us to hold that in the middle of it. Because all this conversation can be lost if we don't hold to that sense of relationship with this triune God. The first thing that I want to share with you is God in three persons. Uh, and this is part of our hymnody. This is how we describe God. This is how some of our creeds are written. God in three persons. This means that God is three persons. There are three persons in the trinity father who's also called the first person of the trinity son the second person of the trinity or holy spirit the third person of this trinity and the scriptures that support this idea that there are three persons in the trinity comes to us from a familiar passage that is john 1 1 this is what we read in john 1 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made. He, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and life was the light of all mankind. Here, the evangelist is introducing us to the second person of the Trinity. He's introducing us to the Son, Jesus, and the way he introduces us to the second person of the Trinity, the Son, is by talking about something that is familiar to anyone who was reading John 1 during that time. Here, the author of John 1 wants us to immediately think of creation. 
He wants us to think about the creation story. For in the creation story, this is what we read. In the beginning was God. In the beginning was, was God. And that is what the author in the Gospel of John wants us to think about when we read John 1.1. Because it's the same exact words that are used to introduce Jesus. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. When we were gathering all this information about what sermons to preach, uh, Mark and John Rogers are members of our church. Uh, and Jan uh, was teaching about, you know, the Bible stories to our grandson, um, and, uh, who's four. And he said, Grandma, if God made all this, who made God? Right? Smart kid for four-year-old, right? I won't go into that conversation today. But anyway, I want to start with this conversation that we read in the beginning, God. Before anything ever existed, there was God. In the beginning, God. The God we worship was before all creation. The God we pray in our times of need and distress existed before nothing existed. And the Gospel of John makes this distinction between the first person of the Trinity and the second person of the Trinity by saying that the Word was with God and the Word was God. Friends, when we read the, the creation story in Genesis 1, we see over and over again what, that the spoken Word is how things are created. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And over and over again, God speaks the word, and it happens. We read that over and over again in the creation story. And John 1 is telling us that that word was God. That word was God. There were two different persons, God and the word. And later in Gospel of John 1.14, this is what we read. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. And the glory of the only one from the father. Full of grace and truth. Here is where we see two persons. Father and son. Later in the gospel. Jesus uh, begins to talk about. The Holy Spirit as well. <clears throat> John chapter 14 and 15. There is like several passage about. Uh, several information about verses. About the work of the Holy Spirit. But John 15, 26, this is what we read. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who will proceed from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Here, again, the Holy Spirit is very distinctively clear. It's another person. Here, the Holy Spirit is spoken as the paraclete or the helper and one of the ways, one of the best ways that I can interpret this Greek word called paraclete that describes the Holy Spirit as the one who walks next to you. This will be sent to us from God. That the Holy Spirit is going to walk with us in every single situation. That yes, the Father is there and the Son is there, but the Holy Spirit is given to us so that this person walks with us each and every single day. And so these three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, 
are what are described in the Gospel of John. And there are several other scriptures that we could look to. And the second point that I would like to make uh, this morning when we are talking about the Trinity is all three persons are fully God. The fullness of God dwells in each person. Each person of the Trinity is fully God. The best way um, to see that each person is fully God is by reading the scriptures again. Just like the way we've done. Again, when you read the story of creation, it's clear that there is God. God the Father who speaks the word and the Son is there. There is no arguing that God is God when you read the creation story. God is present and God creates. Period. And I'm sure you've heard of Jehovah's Witnesses. Anybody? Did anybody knock on your door recently? I mean, it is a pandemic, but, you know. Anyway, Jehovah's Witnesses, right? They have a different way of understanding the Trinity. They kind of see the Trinity as Jesus is less than God. And one of the reasons they kind of argue that Jesus is less than God is because they kind of go back to the scripture that I just shared with you. Um, This is what I've been saying to you uh, this morning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? That's what we have said, and we've kind of hung on to. But when you look at some of the other original manuscripts uh, that were written in Greek, uh, and look at a couple of things, this is what they argued. This is how they read it. In the beginning was a Word, not the Word, and a Word was with God. And a word was God. It's not a capital G. It is a small G. This morning, um, when Jehovah's Witnesses kind of make that claim that Jesus is less than, and you can't necessarily use John 1.1 to declare that Jesus is actually God, is fully God. It's actually less than God is what they would argue. And you could argue back with them saying, like, you know, you can look at some the syntax in the Greek that it was written, and kind of, you can make a counterpoint to that, but then I want to kind of talk about a different story to kind of make a counter-argument that Jesus is fully God. And this comes to us um, from the story of Thomas. You all know the word Thomas, doubting Thomas, that's kind of part of who, what our vernacular is. Like, you know, if anybody is skeptical, we kind of call him doubting Thomas. The reason for that is, uh, this is how the story goes. So Jesus um, is crucified. He was buried. He was risen from the dead. Jesus conquers death, and he comes to visit his friends. Jesus comes and talks to his friends, and he's there with his friends, and Thomas is not there. And Thomas is having a huge problem with this. Thomas actually then the disciples go and say, hey, we saw Jesus. He's risen. He's alive. And Thomas is like, nope, I didn't see him. I'm not going to believe him. I have not seen him. I am not going to believe that he is alive. And then Thomas goes on to say, the only way I'm going to believe in Jesus is if I can take my finger and put it in his arm, in his palm, where the nails were driven. That is when I will believe. And this is what we read In John chapter um, 28, verse uh, 20, verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, Jesus is talking. The risen Christ is talking. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand and place it by my side. 
Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. Here Thomas is using the word Lord to describe Jesus. The word Lord, every time we read the word Lord in the Old Testament, it refers to the first person of the Trinity. It refers to God, the word Lord, over and over again it's used. But here Thomas acknowledges that this Jesus is fully God. This second person of the Trinity is fully God. And he actually takes it a step further. Not only does he call him my Lord, he also says, my God, capital G. And then we need to consider the work of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Spirit. And this morning we read about the Great Commission. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, we read, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching to them, and to observe all that I have commanded. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If you can put the next slide up. <clears throat> this is the baptism formula. And I've used this word. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You've seen me do that here over and over again in this church. And over the course uh, of my pastorate. This is called the baptism formula, where all three persons are acknowledged before a person is initiated into God's holy family. And that is the liturgy of our baptism that we use. So here we are declaring that the Holy Spirit is fully God, because we don't baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and stop there. But we say it's in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. As a Protestant denomination, um, especially in the mainline churches, uh, mainline, uh, I mean um, Methodist and Lutheran, Presbyterian, Episcopal, uh, Anglican churches, one of the things that we've kind of shied away from uh, is, is looking at the work of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. We've kind of like almost kind of strayed away from it. We don't talk much about the work of the Spirit here. And if you, you, I'm sure you can resonate uh, with uh, me uh, when I use these words. I'm sure you've prayed this way or heard someone pray this way. Father, we come before you. How many of you heard that? Y'all can put your hands up. Thank you. All right. Good. Right? We've heard that. We've heard that. Father, loving God, um, Father, like, you know, we use that language a lot in our prayers. And the way we end our prayers is by saying, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Right? We use the word Father and the way we approach God's throne and we end our, our prayers uh, by saying, in the name of Jesus, this is what we pray, this is what we ask. And this morning, I kind of want us to kind of say that the work of the Spirit is sometimes negated or overlooked uh, in, our, in our language. But the Holy Spirit is fully God. We see that the God Spirit was moving over creation. When you read the creation story, you can hear you, you hear the words that the Spirit of God was moving there. 
When God created Adam and Eve and God breathed into them. The word breathed is ruhak. It means breath or spirit. The universal truth that we hold as Christians that we are all created in God's image. The reason we hold that truth is because God's spirit was breathed into us. That is the reason we are all created in God's image. That we bear God's image is because the spirit of God dwells in each one of us. That is fundamentally Christian theology. That we are all created in God's image and the spirit of God dwells in it. This is the same spirit that spoke to Abraham and took him to a different land. It was the same spirit that provided for the people of Israel in the wilderness. It was the same spirit that helped us when we have cried out in despair. It is the same spirit that took Isaiah into the Holy of Holies. And he had this powerful encounter with God. And he said... Lord, send me. Here I am. That Holy Spirit is fully God. And finally, I want to conclude by this. There is one God. We do not, as Christians, we do not worship three gods. We worship just one God. Can I repeat that again? We do not worship three gods. We worship one God. And the reason we say that is because of Deuteronomy chapter 6. One God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, your Lord is one. We don't have a pantheon of gods like other religions, like the Greek pantheon or the Roman pantheon. We worship one God. One God. Three persons. One of my Muslim friends, we were talking about religion and different things. And he, um, he said, I don't, I don't get Christianity. And I was like, what do you mean by that? And he said, man, why do you worship three gods? And I was like, no, we don't worship three gods. We worship one God. And this is a mystery. One Nicaea and three hypostases. One essence and three persons. Friends, what's the purpose of all this conversation? What is the purpose of talking about a triune God? What is the whole point of this conversation that we are having where we look at scriptures and we argue about the one, the essence, the one essence of God lived out in three persons? What is the purpose of all this? I think the purpose of all this is Acts 1.8. This is what we read. When you will receive power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That is the whole point of this. Right? When we say that we worship a triune God, when the Holy Spirit is on us, we will be witnesses to those in Jerusalem, in Judea, and all of Samaria. What's the point of it? So my question to us is, are we representing God in the world out there? When we say that we worship a trying God who loves us unconditionally, 
Are we showing that unconditional love to those around us? When we say that we worship a God who sits with us and who walks with us in our times of despair, are we witnessing that same care for those who are going through difficult times? When we say we believe in a triune God who calls us to love and care, how are we living out our own lives out in the world? Are we witnessing to what God has done in our lives? Are we representing the God that we love in the world by the way we speak, the way we act, by the way we live our lives? Is the triune God visible to those who encounter us? Because that's the whole point of worshiping this mystery, of worshiping this God, one essence and three persons. That is the whole point. May we worship this God and may we be his witnesses in this world. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are a triune God, that you are a God who has created. You are a God who walks with us. You are a God that was before creation. And you are a God that became human so that we can be in relationship with you. God, we ask that you would give us the strength, the power from the Holy Spirit to be your witnesses. So that we can speak and talk and behave like you. Give us grace and give us strength. In your name we pray. Amen.